Welcome to the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast, the podcast that helps you find solutions for your weight concerns that will last a lifetime. You've got this. This podcast contains general educational information on weight loss for physicians. I am not providing medical advice and listening to this podcast does not create a physician-patient relationship. This podcast does not replace the need for consultation with a licensed professional and no information should be relied upon unless you have obtained specific advice or treatment from myself or another physician. Please review the terms and conditions located at www.weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca before continuing. Welcome to episode 121 of the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Siobhan Key. Thank you so much for joining me today. All right, today we are talking about really like the big question, the big question of what happens when the food goes away. And I wanted to do this episode because we're thinking so much about how we make the food go away, to say it in simple terms, or how we follow a healthy eating plan and we stop eating the food we feel we shouldn't. But it's not very often that we actually spend time thinking about what happens when we're actually successful with that. What are we left with? And I think if you're working on long-term weight loss, this is a really important question to ask yourself and to examine so that you can manage it. Because I think this is probably one of the number one reasons why people, quote unquote, fall off diets is because they don't take the time to think about what is going to be left behind when I remove food as a coping strategy. And then when they don't plan it, it sometimes doesn't feel great when the food's taken away and it feels so compelling to go back to that food, to go back to that coping strategy that you are familiar with and that your brain feels worked well for you. Again, that part of your brain that thinks that works well for you doesn't think long-term. So in the short-term, yes, it did work well for you, but it can't see that the long-term impact it's having or prevention of you reaching other goals. So we're talking about What happens when the food goes away? And when I think back to this on how this has shown up in my own life, I remember back to like way before I actually started on this journey of trying to figure out my own weight and my own emotional eating before we had kids. And it was, you know, I felt exhausted all the time. (laughs) So when I remember coming home, this would be like when I was a fairly new grad, just into practice, come home after long days of office or emerge and just flop on the couch and feel like I had no energy to do anything. And back then we would order pizza like as takeout probably once a week where it was just like, oh, let's just order pizza. I just don't have any other energy. And when I view that time in my life from this standpoint, that pizza and those other foods and the eating out more frequently than what we do now, all of that food was there for a reason. It covered up something. It tried to compensate for something. And I think it honestly is why I struggled when I would just try to stop because I didn't figure out what it was actually there for, what it was compensating for. And so we just try to stop ordering pizza and then I would still have the same exhausting day, still feel so exhausted and be left with, okay, what, I have to go cook now? And taking the food away didn't correct the reason why the food was there in the first place. And really, this comes to the core of everything that I coach around in my Stress Eating SOS program and in this podcast is the food is a symptom. You have to figure out what's underneath in order to truly manage your eating long term and to find a way of managing it where you have comfort with it and it feels somewhat easy and you're not always struggling with it. 
the way you do that is by figuring out what's underneath. And that's what this podcast episode is about. So usually when we start on a diet, when we're thinking, okay, I need to lose weight or I need to eat healthier, what we start with is the thought of, okay, how am I going to do that? What diet am I going to follow? And we think about the individual little hows, like the, okay, how am I going to get myself to eat that for lunch? How am I going to get dinner made? The really kind of micro steps. But we don't think about the after. So if we're really successful with that, say you decide I'm going to make big changes, I'm changing what I'm eating, I'm starting to eat healthy, and you get yourself all set up. The question we don't ask ourselves is what if we're successful? And here's the issue is, is if you are successful with those changes, you will be successful in removing your coping strategy. And then you're left with whatever you're using it to cope for. And that's where you know, you can be very successful in the first weeks of a diet where you make changes. But if you don't figure this piece out that I'm teaching you today, it's not going to be sustainable because if you're successful with your diet, it's going to feel like crap. (laughs) You're going to feel horrible. And you're going to wonder why when I'm like being so careful with how I'm eating, why do I feel so horrible? And your brain will start making it mean that it's because the food is gone and because you need that food to feel good. And then it's so easy to go back to the food, to end up right back into the old habits. And then, of course, what do we do? Well, we beat ourselves up when we do that. And so it becomes this really big loop. But really, the issue is, is just comes down to coping strategies. That's the only thing that the issue is, is if you're very successful in your diet change, then you need to have other coping strategies. You have to build the skill of having non-food coping strategies so that you can then be successful in your life and you can keep the dietary changes going long term. And so this may sound scary, right? Like when you think about this and you're like, okay, so I'm going to eat healthy. And by doing that, I'm removing all of my coping strategies. That might seem scary. And that might make you go like, oh, I don't want any of that. (laughs) No, thank you. But honestly, doing this is a real place for growth. So by taking away the food, by making dietary change where you're not coping with food or you're taking away some of it, it then gives you the opportunity to see what's there and grow from it. Because the problem is, is when we're covering up all of this stuff with food, essentially we're numbing it and we're not looking at it. So those emotions and those things that are driving the eating are there and they're impacting our quality of life. And yet we're not giving ourselves the opportunity to actually look at it and decide if that's what we want in our life or if you want to try to change it. When you take away the food, when you decide that you're going to eat healthy and you take away some of these eating habits, then you're left with what's underneath. Now, lately, my favorite TV show that I've been watching has been Hometown, which is a home renovation show where they take, I'm sure lots of you have watched it, but they take old houses and renovate them. And I love it because I think it's a very positive show. There's none of that drama that often gets put in into home renovation shows. And I really like seeing inside old houses. And so I was thinking about this and that it's really similar on most of these episodes of Hometown. There's a part where they're ripping up some carpet or they're tearing down some walls and they're wondering what's underneath. And they're curious about what's underneath. And sometimes what's underneath is amazing. Like sometimes it's hardwood floors that are in excellent shape that they never would have seen if they hadn't ripped up and taken away the things that were covering it. And I think that's very true with the eating is that when we're always eating, to cover up and to manage emotions and to cope, 
we can really miss out on some really amazing stuff about ourselves. We can miss out on some life experiences. We can miss out on some opportunities and we can miss out on some personal growth because it's just so easy to go to the food and the food is so readily available. So thinking about this, that when you take away the food, it's kind of like you're ripping up the carpet in an old house and you get to see what's underneath. Now, sometimes what's underneath is going to be good. You're going to be happy with what you see what's underneath. And that's fantastic. But other times you will be less pleased (laughs) about what you find when you rip up the carpet. But that's okay. It was always there. This is the thing we think and our brain wants to tell us when we eat. It makes that stuff go away. It does not make it go away. It's just covering it up with some 70s shade carpet. You got some nice gold shag matted down carpet covering it up, but it's still there. And so the place for the personal growth is by taking that away, actually giving yourself permission to look at what's there without judgment, to be kind to yourself about whatever's under that carpet and see if you can find a better way of dealing with it because the food is not a good way to deal with it. Feels good in the moment. It is readily available, but it does not fix any of those longer term things that might be under that carpet. And here's the thing with human brains is you might say, okay, well, could I find that growth? Could I fix those things when I'm still eating? So keep the eating in place, fix the issues that are underneath, and then move on. And I think that is definitely a possibility. However, because our brains like easy things, they like the kind of least amount of effort and the thing that feels the best, most likely if you're still doing a lot of emotional eating, your brain isn't going to give you the same allowance to actually look at what's underneath because it will feel so much easier and so much faster to just eat, to reach for the food and get the relief from the food instead of actually looking at what's underneath. Because too, you have to remember your brain as a human brain thinks what's underneath is probably dangerous to you. And that's why it's trying to move away from it all the time with food. You know, as an adult, that what's underneath is probably not dangerous right now, for most of us anyways. And so if you can use more of the prefrontal cortex part of your brains and look at what's underneath, you'll be in a far better position than if your brain's just kind of predicting what's underneath. But you kind of have to get that piece of your brain out of the way. And one of the easiest ways to do that is just by reducing or stopping the emotional eating to expose what's there. Because, you know, I work with a lot of people that say, I don't really think I emotionally eat and I don't, I just want the food. I just like the food. And I'm not really sure if there's an emotion under there. And what I would say is there probably is. It's just that it's so deeply hidden. It's hard to see. So maybe it's multiple layers of shag carpet. Or some shag carpet and some linoleum that's just hiding the emotions. And we just don't have the experience or the training to experience our emotions and to identify our emotions. And so it, we're kind of illiterate at times with it. And plus, then we haven't spent time looking for them. So it can feel like they're not there. And part of this work is actually looking at what's there and learning to experience them. If you feel a bit illiterate with emotions, you're totally not alone. There's a lot of people that struggle with this. And so it's just another skill to work on. It's just that you have to practice and experience, play with experiencing your emotions and understanding what they are. So when the food goes away, what might you expect? So if you stop emotional eating, you stop using food as a coping strategy, what might you expect? Well, I listed a few common ones, but it could be different for everybody. Like the food is there for a reason and you get to be the detective to figure out what your personal reasons are. And whether you want the food to be playing that role for you, or if you actually think 
it's possible that there's things that would do a better job in that role than the food. So the ones I came up with and that I see really commonly in the physicians that I coach with and in myself would be stress is super common. And the interesting thing with stress as being what's under the eating is that sometimes it's not like an immediate thing stresses you out and then you eat. Sometimes that happens. But what I see more often is something stressful happens and then sometime later you eat and your brain doesn't always connect the two, but they're connected. It's like something stressful happens and then it kind of rumbles around in your mind through the day or the next few hours and then it just feels uncomfortable and at some point you eat. I had this on the weekend where on the afternoon I was feeling just stressed and like just like uncomfortable, anxious, and I couldn't figure out what it was. And it took me a long time to sit through and be like, okay, what have I been thinking about today? Like, where is this coming from? Because it was a day off. There wasn't really any objective reason why I should be feeling stressed or anxious. And it took me a while to work back through my day to realize it started when I had started thinking about my office and I'd been doing my schedule for the next month, which always stresses me out. <laughs> Put everything in a calendar and see it in concrete. And that's when I started to get anxious. But at the moment in the afternoon where I was feeling really kind of worked up and unsettled by it, I couldn't tell what it was that had caused it. So again, it, by not eating, it opens up that place to just be curious and really understand it. And so number two would be restlessness. I think restlessness drives a lot of eating. And that's, you know, maybe the feeling that happens after the stress. I think sometimes like where a stressful event will happen at some time in the day, later on, you might not still feel stressed, but you have this like restless or, you know, maybe you feel you should be doing something different. Maybe it's just a restlessness of no longer reaching for food, like no longer having that physical habit of getting up and going to the fridge or reaching for food to do kind of hand to mouth movements while you're watching TV or something. But restlessness, I think, can drive a lot of eating. And it's a little harder to put your finger on it because it's not an emotion that we talk about a lot. So it's just kind of there and feels a little squirmy and not comfy. And it can feel like you just need to do something. And so food can fit that bill really easily. But you don't always put your finger on it to go, oh, I'm feeling restless. I'm craving food because I'm restless right now. The third one would be dissatisfaction. Like when you stop eating, and you stop using food as a coping mechanism, you may find that there's areas of your life that you're dissatisfied with, that they're not really measuring up to where you would want for yourself. And I say this in a kind way, because it's really easy to, I think, for us to get down on ourselves and be dissatisfied with a lot of things that we do. But more in when you look at your global goals for yourself, your vision for yourself, when you stop using food as a coping strategy, you might find that there's different areas that don't match up with those overall visions and you feel a bit dissatisfied and out of sync. And I think this can be a really powerful place to be because you probably wouldn't notice it without taking the food away. And yet if you notice it, then that gives you that opportunity to start crafting your life to be the way you want it to be. And I think if this is you recognizing that it's not that everything has to change. We think if we're dissatisfied, everything needs to change. But really, it's just that, you know, maybe a few small tweaks will start making significant changes for you. That maybe a few small tweaks will start to improve things for you and make you feel more satisfied in different areas. And then probably number four would be fear. And I think that's, you know, sometimes fear of failure, fear of success, fear of not measuring up, all different fears that when you take the food away, they're there. And fear is one of those 
really uncomfortable emotions that our brain doesn't want to look at directly because it really does feel like it has something to do with survival. So if you're feeling afraid, our brain interprets it that there's a threat to us. And the reality in our society is it's not usually a direct threat. More often, it's actually about us and our thoughts about things, but recognizing that maybe it's fear. Now, like I said, this list of what might be underneath when you take the eating away is not by any means complete. You may have a totally different list and that's completely fine. The important thing in this is just looking and seeing what is under there. What might I expect when the food goes away? And if you're standing at the point where you're still doing a lot of emotional eating or binge eating and you don't know what's underneath, well, sometimes the only way to figure it out is to take the food away. And even if you did it as an experiment for a couple days and said, okay, I'm not emotionally eating these couple days as an experiment to figure out what's underneath here, that'll at least give you an opportunity to start seeing, to kind of peek under the rug and see what you think might be under there. And I think the big piece about this and why I wanted to do this podcast episode is having these emotions, having things underneath the food is normal. Nothing's gone wrong. It's part of being human. It's completely normal. Where you can improve your chance of success in lifestyle change is by being prepared for it. Rather than assuming everything will feel great if you just cut out the food, accept that there are going to be discomforts, there are going to be other emotions or stresses that you have to deal with that you otherwise might have dealt with using food and make plans for it. And to go back to my analogy of the home renovations, it's like, you know, they are always hopeful or often hopeful that there's going to be hardwood under the carpet. And so that's plan A is that there's hardwood under the carpet. There's something we can work with. We just need to clean and polish it up. But then there's always a plan B or plan C where, okay, maybe it's hardwood, but it's got some damage that needs some replacement. Maybe it's not hardwood or maybe it's fully damaged and it needs to be completely replaced. But when you're looking under that carpet, kind of coming up with your different options so you don't feel roped in. When we're used to using food as a coping strategy, food is only option. So our brain is viewing it as a dichotomy of either we cope using food or we have no coping strategy and we just have to sit with that discomfort and it will always feel that way and maybe it's going to feel worse. And I'm saying that as your brain would whisper in your ear when it's giving you a food craving when you're having some form of discomfort. You have to sit down and show your brain that there's other options. It doesn't have to be either food or suffer. It can be something in the middle, something different, maybe a path you haven't tried before that ultimately will make you feel more successful and make you live a better life, a more full life where you're addressing the parts that don't feel comfortable to you, that cause chronic stress, and you're actually doing something about them rather than just covering them up with food. All right, so how? <laughs> Let's talk about how you actually do that. I've got four kind of tips for you for how you process through this and how you do it. Number one is you need to accept that this is normal. Like I said, it's so easy to beat ourselves up in anything related to weight loss. It is so easy to assume that other people have it easier and that they're not dealing with the same emotions or kind of messy, emotional messiness that you might feel you are. And I think it's really important to recognize that that's simply not true, that what you have going on is normal. Nothing went wrong. It's just normal. And it has always been there. That's the other important part is it feels like when we take the food away, all of a sudden we have all this other stuff to deal with. But it was always there. It's just that the food covered it up. So it's not that we're creating more discomfort. It's that we're ending up where we're 
having to experience the discomfort that was always there rather than masking it. So know that it's normal. Don't judge yourself for what's under your carpet. It's normal. And then number two is have patience with yourself. This is a new skill set. This is something the managing and coping with discomfort without using food is something you probably have not been taught. And most likely we're taught the opposite of. Like when we were growing up, we were taught to, you know, if you fell down and you're crying, here, have a cookie. We were actually taught to use food when we had the discomfort. So it is normal if this skill set feels foreign to you. If it feels like this is really difficult and you're not sure if you're going to figure it out, normal. If it feels like sometimes you get it and you're like, oh, nice, that worked. And other times you don't, normal. It's all normal. It's all part of being human. It's all part of building a new skill set. And you have to be patient with yourself and know that there is always a discomfort with growth. So anytime you're growing, you're shifting your identity, you're shifting some aspects about how you live your life, there is going to be discomfort with that. It's usually worth it for the long-term outcomes that you're going for that matter to you, but there is discomfort in the growth. There's discomfort in the learning, and you just have to be patient with yourself. And then number three, so once you've gotten your brain around that, whatever you find on that carpet is normal, and that you will need to be patient with yourself. This is a skill that you are going to have to keep practicing and keep trying. Then ask yourself what might be there. I would say sit down with a list for this and ask yourself, what is under my carpet? When I lift that carpet, when I take the food away as a coping strategy, what's there? What am I going to find? What are the things that might be there that I might not have noticed? And just brainstorm them all, write them all down. They're less scary if you actually can look at them on paper. So write them all down. Write them all out. Get really, really clear on what is that food doing for you. That's another way to phrase it that you may get better answers from yourself about. But what is the food accomplishing for you? What is it offering to you? And find out. Spend a bit of time with yourself to really look at it. Then number four is the big action one. But I want to say number one, two, and three are really important to do first. Often in our brains, we want to jump to the action. We want to be like, okay, tell me what to do. Tell me to get out of this discomfort. I want to do it. But the risk you run, if you do that, if you just want to jump out of this discomfort and just start taking action, is you miss that ability for growth. You miss that ability to really understand yourself at a deeper level. And you run the risk of just finding some other coping strategy that's going to mask this stuff and this discomfort and the stress and all those sorts of things are going to stay still, but they'll just be masked in some other way. And we see this lots where people will transfer one coping strategy for another. So for example, lots of people that give up, say, alcohol or cigarettes, then start struggling with food because the food then becomes their coping strategy. When people give up food, sometimes alcohol becomes more of an issue. Sometimes online shopping becomes more of an issue. But something else steps in because they haven't done the work of actually understanding what's under the carpet. They just need to get away from that discomfort. And if you've been there, again, normal, totally normal. It's just you weren't taught the skill that I'm teaching you right now. And again, even if you've tried this skill and it hasn't, you haven't been perfect with it and you're still working on it, normal, totally normal. It's just that you need to practice it more because it's a new skill and new skills can feel uncomfortable when you're learning them. Okay, number four is brainstorm your other ways to manage them. So once you have your list from number three, once you ask yourself, what is that food doing for me? What role is it playing for me in my life? Then you sit down and you come up with how else can you manage it? 
What I really suggest with this is do an open brainstorm. Sit down and write everything out, all your different options about what you could do when you take the food away. How else can you manage it? I encourage you to think about, you know, like pre-renal, renal and post-renal failure that we're all taught in medical school. Almost think about it in this way, because what we all focus on is the post, the like, when I want the food and it's uncomfortable there, what do I do there? And I think that's a useful place to work and to come up with solutions. But what I want you to think about is what things might be happening before that, that you could actually intervene in. Like where are some coping strategies you could do earlier in the day that may end up with the food craving not really cropping up? So think about it in terms of like, okay, it's easy to focus when I'm feeling really stressed out after work. What do I do in that moment? And I think those coping strategies are important. But are there ways I could change how I think during my day, how I arrange my day, how I fit in self-care during my day that would actually make it so that stress doesn't build, so the food craving doesn't show up at all? That can be a really, really powerful place to look. So when you're brainstorming all your ways to manage the things that are under this carpet, all the stuff that's going to be left behind when you take food away as a coping strategy, brainstorm in a broad sense. Don't limit yourself just to what you do when you're feeling stressed out reach beyond that in your brainstorming and look for things you could do to reduce how often you get stressed out, to reduce how often you feel frustrated, how you could manage fear about things like fear of failure, fear of success, and what you could do leading up to that to actually prevent them. So almost like a preventative stress management tool. And then it's really important to recognize as you're learning this skill, some things that you brainstorm are going to work. They're going to be really helpful. You'll love them. Some things aren't. Some things you're going to do and they'll work and you'll be like, oh, this feels so good. I'm never going to stop doing this. And then for whatever reason, you stop doing it. And weeks later, you're like, why do I feel so crummy? And you're like, why did I stop that? And again, all normal, just normal brain behavior and just part of the learning process. Some things you're going to try and you're going to be like, oh, that didn't do it. That did not scratch the itch that I had. And that's okay too, because again, that's part of the learning process. You're learning which coping strategies actually work for you. The one caveat I would give you is that sometimes the first time around or even the second time around you try a new coping strategy, it may not measure up to the food. Like your brain might be like, well, that was not the same as eating whatever food you're thinking of eating. And that's okay. There is an element of you need to try them a few times to really give a chance to build a bit of momentum with that new coping strategy. So I encourage you before you totally write something off your list, try it a couple times. Now, keep this list, this brainstorm of all the different things you can do, keep it somewhere where you can see it. Because in that moment where you're feeling really stressed out and you've removed food as the option to cope with it, your brain is not going to come up with other options. And it will probably, just to give you a heads up, again, normal that it's probably going to not talk nicely about your other options. (laughs) It's going to give you all sorts of reasons why food is just the right option and all the other ones are just crap. (laughs) You shouldn't even consider them. And so having this up and having it like posted on your fridge or on your phone where you can easily reach it somewhere where you can review it is really important. And just don't listen to that part of your brain that's talking smack about your other coping strategies. You need to just give them a chance and practice them. They'll get easier with time and know that that talking smack, again, just normal. It's just normal brain behavior. Nothing's going wrong. It doesn't mean anything about your ability to do this or your ability to learn this new skill. It's just how brains behave. All right summarize the ways that you manage this. So how you build a structure to cope with whatever is left behind when you stop using food as a coping strategy is number one, know that whatever's left behind is normal. It's always been there. Nothing's gone wrong. 
Number two is be patient with yourself. Know that this is a new skill you're learning and it may take time. Sometimes you'll do it well, sometimes you won't. All of that's okay. You just have to keep trying. Number three is ask yourself, what is leftover? What role has that food been playing? What has the food been doing for you? And get really clear on what's going on for you. If you don't know, like I said, cutting the food out as an experiment and paying attention over the next couple of days will help you understand what's there. Number four is brainstorm in other ways that you can manage it. And it's important to not just think, how can I manage it when I'm stressed out? But you think, Earlier in the day, how could I manage this? Maybe overall through the month, how could I manage this differently? Let yourself brainstorm on a bigger playing field to really not only manage it when it's there, but maybe even prevent some of the stress and some of the discomfort that's making you want to eat. All right. As always, I would love to hear your comments. Send them to me at info at weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button. It helps the podcast get found and share it with somebody that you know that might also appreciate this. Have a fantastic week, guys. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.